0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: We need a mental revolution where we need to understand that we are still eating crap, but this crap is in the form of mental junk food. And so we're feeding our kids in their eyeballs, in their ears, all of this mental crap that is, is taking them further and further from understanding who they are as individuals and therefore being able to bring what they have to offer to the table in their earth suits to be productive citizens that keep things civilized and keep the world moving forward. Those mechanisms are now eroded and gone. So until you fix, you know, what we are feeding ourselves and our kids, all this mental junk food. And yes, I do mean we need to probably put labels. On crap that we are able to watch and, and they, they, they are as silly as it sounds is that warning, this may cause severe depression is taken or uh, consumed over a long period of time. I'm Srini Rao, and
0: this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at UnmistakableCreative.com. Steve, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, man. My pleasure. Thank
1: you for for having me here. I'm excited about this opportunity.
0: Yeah. So I found out about, uh, you by way of our mutual friend and one of your coworkers, uh, Jesse, who actually is, you know, the, the now wife and, you know, was the girlfriend of a roommate that I lived with almost God knows how long ago, about a 10 or 11 years ago at this point. And I remember when she told me like two sentences about your story, I said, I don't even need to do an introduction. I'm like, just say yes. We'll have, we'll definitely have Steve on the show just based on that. Um, so I wanted to start by asking you, uh, where in the world did you grow up and what impacted where you grew up end up having on the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Oh, absolutely.
1: Well, I started off in Compton, California, just around the corner from a very popular high school called Centennial High School. You know, kind of the, the hard around where, you know, some of the hip hop uh, rappers of the 90s all grew up in stomping grounds around there uh, in that area of Compton. But uh, what's interesting about my experience in Compton is, is exact opposite of what everybody hears Compton to be about. My experience more about the educational system and what I was a part of there. My parents, uh, you know, started me off in private and also put me in public schools in, in, uh, Compton. And I guess I must have been a super low achiever because I was always that kid in the back of the classroom in every situation. And, uh, Every year, I would have uh, my counselor or my teacher sitting down with me and my mom and listening to them, telling my mom about how poor of a student he is, um, can't read like the other students, he can't do uh, English, he can't do math. Look, at this is where we are. This is where he is. He needs to be held back maybe one or two grade. And you're already, you're not thinking as a child, man, I live in Compton and, and all of the things that's going on around there, all you're thinking of is... You know, I must really be stupid because every time I listen, in, listen to my teacher or counselor, you know, talk about who I am, they're always talking about the things that I couldn't do. So my life started up uh, started out growing up in this area where all these other things are happening, but the way I feel about myself is at the very lowest of the low because I'm not expected to be anything. And as I grew up in that environment, and then uh, my parents moved us from Compton to the suburbs, and so I was still uh, going to school at that time. And and now that we live in the suburbs, I realized that, oh, man, I must really be stupid because education is different in the suburbs than it is in the hood where I was. And I didn't think of where I lived as the hood, because that's just the environment, right? But... now that we're in the suburbs and things, I'm around all these other ethnicities for the first time. I'm the one of maybe three Black people in the whole entire school, and I'm getting teased about how I, how I talk, I'm saying auntie uh instead of auntie, and other words that was prevalent where I came from that are now not uh, accepted in, in the environment and to book. I find that I'm even further behind in education than I was even when I was in college. So that was my first Russian experience with um, kind of understanding that education is not the same in urban areas as it is in the suburbs and outside of those environments. And so, even as a young kid, I start realizing that there's something wrong with this picture. There's a problem here. But at the time, being a youth, I couldn't really, you know, determine what that was. So. I know you asked me more questions and things, but uh, it really did have an impact on the way that I viewed myself for the rest of uh, my time in education. And it really started to impact uh, just how, um, or not impact, but uh, impact me on how messed up I felt like education was, even as a youth going into it, going, there is a problem here, but I can't quite put my finger on it. It shouldn't be a difference between the education I was a part of when I was in Compton and the education now in the suburbs. Um, you know, nobody is talking to me, trying to help me understand the difference between the two and really catch me up. They're just leaving me by myself. They're leaving me here to pretty, pretty much down the vine. And that was the first time I started getting the idea that, you know, education feels like if you can't succeed in the classroom, you will not be successful as a person in life. And that was the attitude that I started taking on, which started to trigger a whole list of other things that I was going through mentally and emotionally.
2: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. Remember, folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. What uh, you know typically was the advice from your parents about uh, education, and then. You know, like I said, I think that the thing that you and I had talked about would intrigue me most is I wanted to talk about the misperceptions we have of growing up in an environment like Compton, because I think for most of us who didn't, you know, my experience of what it might have been like to grow up in Compton was watching Boys in the Hood. And I think I probably saw the worst of it. So why is it, you know, what did your parents teach you about education? Then why is it that some people manage to transcend those environments and then other people succumb to them?
1: Yeah, that's an amazing question. Well, again, you know, when you're in the environment, you don't really understand. It's kind of like being in a, a, a fish being in a dirty fish tank. I, I bet you the fish doesn't know that the fish tank is, is dirty until someone on the outside looks in and says, man, that fish tank is really dirty, you know? Um, and it's not until the, the, the fish inside that fish tank really appreciates being in a clean, clean environment that someone on the outside starts to, you know, clean that environment. And so being in, in, in Compton. You know, you didn't really, you know, look at things as being, this is really, really bad. You just felt like this is just where I'm at. And this is just what it is. And is. You're not being able to, you know, have a perspective of looking from the outside in, you know, because you're in it. But my parents, you know, you know, just kept on saying, uh, don't listen to the teachers. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just fine. Uh, you know, and I remember hearing my mom even say to my teachers, oh, he don't need to be held back. He's fine. You know, but I'm trying to figure out. You know, if someone has to say that I'm fine, you know, then I must not be fine. <laughs> so, what the, what the heck is going on? You know, but my parents was always just, well, my dad, my, my mom, uh, she was the one that was uh, a part of that process. Even though I had a fi- father, he was an alcoholic and actually he would call me brain dead. Uh, especially as I got a little bit older and we moved to the suburbs, he became more of an alcoholic. And then uh, he would, um, you know, really, um, I, I think emphasize the way that I felt the teachers felt about me by some of the things that he said. You know, your your brain dead. And but it was always when he was intoxicated, he would he would talk like this to me. But my mom just maintained, there's nothing wrong with you. You got to keep on going. But, you know, uh, to that second part of that question, you know, that that desire to transcend, you know, your environment kind of speeds me up in my own personal story to when I was around about 13 years old. And I remember uh, I was going to take this test. And I love education, by the way. And for all the listeners who were, you know, hopefully you resonate with some part of the story today, but for all the listeners who, like me, felt like you didn't have any, you know, connection in education and that you were outcast and left, you know, to be on your own and you're just trying to find your way socially and emotionally and also trying to figure out, you know, how does this educational thing, you know, help you get to where you want to be in the world or maybe some of of us is going, just F it. I'm just going to do me because this is not making any sense. You know, and that's all of the feelings that I was feeling at that moment. But when I was about 13, I remember, um, you know, I had worked real hard in education. I tried really hard. I wanted to be smart. You know, it just wasn't happening. I remember taking a test uh, with algebra test. It was on a Friday. Um, I was a football player and had on my jersey and ready for the game that night, Friday night lights. And uh, we took this test on that day and I say, you know, I studied for this test. I gave everything that I possibly could. Not that I hadn't before, but I put a little extra into it this time. And I remember taking this test and feeling really confident that I, um, you know, passed this test. And I remember, uh, you know, begging the teacher, um, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, please grade this test so I can see how I did. I think I really did. I did a great job and. It was the next several weeks until he re he he recorded the grades. And I remember it was another Friday and he came to um down the aisles handing out everybody's tests and I was excited. Uh couldn't wait for the game that night that it's gonna start out great with a uh with a great uh test score and everything. And he finally got to my desk. I was always in the back of the classroom because I was fed there, um, asked many questions. Um uh, Yes. I slowed teachers down because of how many questions I would ask and trying to understand what was going on. So I, was sit there, I was placed there. Um, he finally came to my desk. I remember with anticipation him putting my my paper upside down like he did everybody. But he kept on walking and I'm going, why does he keep on walking? He should be excited for me. I've bugged this man for the last two, three weeks uh, to, to, to grade my test and here, here he should be congratulating me on how well I did. And I turned that test over Big, fat, D, And I couldn't, um, you know, didn't wipe away the tears. Uh, they were coming so fast. And emotionally, I felt like, man, I'm a failure. So shortly after the bell rang, I went out to, I was first one out the door. I got out to the quad in this, at this high school. And I remember just cursing God saying, why did you make me stupid? Why did you put me in this situation? You know, I want to learn and I want to be the best I can in the classroom. But I can't if you didn't give me the brain to do so. And I remember about five minutes of just cursing God. And it wasn't until maybe, you know, five minutes later after I calmed down a little bit, I started hearing voices. And yes, I'm not crazy. I didn't have any uh, medical issues that said I was schizophrenic or anything like that. I just, I was just hearing voices and these voices were comforting to me, you know, telling me that, you know, this is all for a reason. You're not stupid. You do have something to offer the world. And at that moment, my life changed. And as I started seeing these visions of problems that I was going through, but seeing them from a perspective that wasn't just me going through these problems, but it was, you know, a lot of people that was like me that have no voices and have not been able to articulate how they feel about their experience. And they're disconnected from school and they're disconnected from society because of how well or not well they do in school. And they're disconnected from society because they don't have parental backing and support and there's a lot of different things that I start hearing and seeing in these visions, and so you know to your question of what sometimes helps people transition out of difficult situations, especially environmental or sometimes it's even uh, divine interventions, but then from that divine intervention, you have a choice and that there is problem is that a lot of people don't understand that they have a choice to transition and trans uh, transcend their current mindset or environment and Hearing the information on why I was going through what I was going through wasn't the solution, but it was the choice that came after that that made me intrinsically motivated to get involved in life and realize that I have work to do. And now that I've been able to recognize who I am, and despite all of what I heard about who I am or who I, who people think I, who people think I am or should be. I was able to, to to take a hold of my own life at that moment. And that there is a problem that we see in society today. People don't understand they have a choice. Therefore, they're not taking control of their own life. They're letting, you know, other people, you know, pretty much control their life. But I made that decision on that day. And that's what helped me transition transition and transcend from my, my environment and also my mindset from being a victim, actually, you know, being somebody of importance and who had a purpose in life all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, I mean, you basically got this limiting narrative from teachers that you weren't smart, but, uh, what is it that other kids experience that leads to these horrible things like a school to prison pipeline? Because I don't imagine any kid when they're in kindergarten basically says, you know what I want to do? I want to be a drug dealer in the hood, or I want to, you know, steal cars or whatever it is that leads to that. Is it because of, you know, the role models that they see? Is it because they don't get exposed to models of possibility? Like, and, and, what age do you start to see this sort of people succumbing to their environment versus the ones who transcend it? Because clearly you did. But I, you know, I also know there's the opposite story because I've had those people as guests on my show.
1: Yeah, no, that's a that's a real good question. I mean, what I, I have a, a number of different perspectives on that. I have my own personal perspective growing up in Compton and growing up in an environment family, you know, who uh, a lot of my family members, uh, they inherently are, you know, violent people. And I have that 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 tendency in myself, and luckily I had a mom who helped me identify that in myself uh, early on, and also she helped me to uh, tailor that that violence and temper that violence. And what I'm getting to is sometimes the mindset, you know, that we uh, we grow up in, and yes, it's generational. And I didn't understand that word being or phrase being a product of your environment until I became a firefighter where I was a firefighter for um, over 16 years. And then I still maintained a position in EMS for 20 years. And I started, you know, realizing working in areas where life was rough. You could see the generation of mindset and thought process that's being passed on over and over and over and over. And if people don't have someone like my mom, who is to help them understand and identify different characteristics in themselves and learn how to use those different characteristics, you tend to repeat the same cycle that you you were taught. And so, you know, I, I kind of have a, a way different respect, uh, perspective And I did what I was, uh, right before I was a firefighter, because I kind of looked at things the way that some of my colleagues was teaching me to look at things. Hey, when you go to the hood and stuff like that, you, you need to, you know, you need to be just as hard as they are. You need to, uh, you know, talk to them the way they talk to each other. I was actually taught that kind of stuff. You know, uh, because even coming from the hood, I didn't really know any better from this perspective that of how people outside of those areas look at those people. But it wasn't until, you know, many years passed and I was a fireman for a while and you're running on the same people and the same calls and the same environments over and over again, you start realizing and you see these people grow up in this mindset that they were taught these things. You know, and the, the the problem with it is that there's nobody to help them understand, you know, what's going on, what's really going on. And more importantly, who you are and that you are who you, you know, desire to be. But I first need to tell you or teach you that you need to be you need to desire to be somebody that's going to be productive in society versus someone who's going to be destructive in your own community. You know, and if, if I didn't have a mom the way the mom like I had. You know, I would have repeated that cycle as well. So to your point and your question, and the reason why it's so hard to see a lot of change in these type of environments is because it's a generational mindset that's being taught over and over and over again. So when we look at people as, you know, uh, living on that side of life or we want to put tags on like, you know, they're criminals or, you know, they, they are, you know, murderers or this or that, we, we don't really understand that this is a generational mindset that has been taught to a particular people and they're doing nothing but repeating the only thing that they know. And unless I was a fireman and actually see that mentality from that perspective, um, you know, I wouldn't have understood it myself. People are truly a product of their environment. Do you have friends that ended up in prison from
0: the time growing up in Compton or ended up, you know, basically in a life of crime?
1: Yeah, all those things, you know, um, edge, prison, you know, all, all those, those different things. Um, and you know, what's sad about it too is, um, even as we've gotten older, you know, some of the guys that I, I grew up with who I, I felt like they avoided a lot of the issues took on some of that stuff when they got older. Um, and I still can't explain that to this day, other than the fact that maybe they always had that mindset. But it just was kind of a, a a late onset of that mindset. And they went right back into what they were comfortable with and what they know. Yeah. So you mentioned this transition to the suburbs
0: uh, where, you know, you weren't, you were one of three black people. What did your parents teach you about what it means to be black in America and race in general?
2: Nothing.
1: <laughs> nothing. Oh, man. Uh, actually, absolutely nothing. Um, yesterday was Martin Luther King Day. Uh, I've, I've spent more time teaching my kids what it means to be black and black black in America than I ever had any education on, even at school, you know, even in uh, when I was living in Compton and in, in the environment, we had raids, we had, you know, uh, moments where we revisit, you know, uh, African-American people and their accolades, accolades of what they've been able to accomplish and we'll do reports on them. And that was the extent of it. Um, but I, I had no training whatsoever from my parents.
2: Mm.
1: Well, you know, one, what are you teaching your kids and and
0: what do you want people listening yeah. this t- to to this to know about it? Because, you know, this is a question I've asked a lot of people. We, in fact, did an entire episode um, where we basically, uh, right after all the George Floyd stuff happened, we have an episode about what it means to be black in America. And it was really shocking to hear some of the things that people said, especially when we put them all together. Um and, and, you know, I uh you know, to write white roommates and one of them had started reading one of those books. And he said, you don't, he's like, I don't even think about race. And I said, yeah, that's because it's like, you know, like to your example of, a, you know, water to a fish. I said, if you're white, your skin color is in a lot of ways, water to
1: a fish when you live in America. No way, but you know what, what, this is what's important to me. And I'm glad you asked me this question because I have a slightly, I'm sure, different perspective. And, uh, a lot of other African American people, um, uh, in America. Uh, I was the only a black firefighter and I was, it was that way just about the whole time that I was there. And I experienced a, a lot of racism all the way up through the ranks. Um, I, I graduated and retired from that, that profession. I call it more graduation than retiring from that profession, but, um, intact with me being who I needed to be and never having to um, change who I am, you know, to accommodate other people. And I think that, you know, being black black in America means for a lot of African-American people that they have to um, uh, measure up to this invisible expectation that other, that, that white America has created for them. And in doing so, you find that a lot of times we have African American people lose who we are. And even if we talk with slang or with, with profanity and at the same time, we'll, we'll show, well, I got a degree from Harvard or I was able to accomplish being a rocket scientist or I am a doctor and stuff like that. And almost kind of gives us this sense of entitlement to where, um, you know, well, we've been able to transcend the hood, but I can still act good and talk hood and all that kind of stuff because I've been able to reach these amazing, um, Areas in life and not knowing and understanding that that whole concept of reach these amazing areas of life is trying to meet that expectation that you felt white America put on you to say that you have arrived and you are validated because you have a, 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 you've, you've accomplished a supreme, uh, status in society when it's the oxymoron when you think about it of a concept you know, because it, it's never been about this expectation that white America or anybody else has put on you. It, it should have always has been about being accepted for who you are. So me, in my uh, perspective and the things that I teach my kids um, is, you know, it's, it's one thing that this is your skin color, but your skin color isn't who you are. And expectation that other people have for you shouldn't be an expectation that you have for yourself. You've been put on this planet, whether you believe in God or not. But in our household, we talk about the higher power. We call God. And you are on this planet with a purpose. And you are given this earth suit. We are all in earth suits. And I'm saying it, earth and S-U-I-T, these things that we look at when we look at each other are nothing more than just vehicles. But the spirit that's on the inside of us is supposed to be driving the vehicle, not the vehicle driving the people. And so when you hear, you know, a lot of us African-American people talking about what we've been able to accomplish and what it means to be a black in America. And it comes with politics. It comes with, you know, how uh, extrinsically how other people feel about us. That's not really answering the question of what it means to be black in America, because it should be. What does it mean to be black in America? What does it mean to be white in America? What does it mean to be white and black in the world? And that goes for every ethnicity and understanding that when you're on this planet, you have one job and that's to live out your purpose. And it doesn't matter what earth suit that you are residing in at the moment. Your job is to take that earth suit and find what characteristics and capabilities it have and then be able to use those capabilities and characteristics outside of yourself to benefit and love the people around you. That is what it means to be black or any other ethnicity in America. And if you fall short of that, you fall short of living, you become just an existence. And as we have found over and over and over, and with exception, of course, of those who have reached high levels of what this society, this America calls success, we remember those people and what they've done, but we should be looking locally at what we are doing and the legacy we're leaving behind for those generations. Full circle here, what I'm talking about is when you ask the question of um how and what makes and allows people to transcend their environment, it's the mere fact that they start getting an understanding of who they are and what the purpose on this planet is and the type of legacy that they want to leave. And hopefully it's a positive legacy that helps the generation after generation behind them see the sacrifices and things that they made and taking full control and responsibility for who they are and then taking those attributes that they are able to provide and making the world a better place than when they first started. That is what it means to be black or any other ethnicity in America, which means again, it doesn't matter what color you are, because it's an earth suit. It's it's just an outward exterior of a vehicle that you are been given the ability and opportunity to reside in. That that's all it is.
0: One of the things I want to talk about, are, you know, I want to spend probably the bulk of our time talking about is this whole idea of education. Uh, you know, you talked about this contrast between education in urban areas versus education in the suburbs. So I never grew up in an urban area. I mean, I pretty much grew up in suburbs my entire life. What is it that is so different about the way that people in urban areas are educated and, and how does it end up affecting their life outcomes versus those who are affected in
1: suburbs or educated in suburbs? Interesting question. You know, I can honestly say that it it doesn't matter so much anymore as much as people think that it matters. Um, I put on my fireman hat for you right now. Um, as I, as I was, I started uh, being a fireman by, by the age of 20, right? And spent all of my thirties, uh, being a fireman and I got to be multiple generations. And what I've found now. Is that we are not as a society and I'm really, uh, hoping, hoping that, uh, this reaches a lot of people. I'm sounding the, the alarm right now. Um, it's going, it's been going off in my mind and I'm trying to sound this alarm as big as I possibly can. Um, right now, what I'm alluding to is that, you know, I would say maybe 20, 25 years ago, you know, environments were, were more impactful. And also we could, from the data, be able to look in environments and almost predict how successful people are going to come or going to be coming out of different environments. But that is no longer the case. And and that's a bold statement, what I'm saying right now. That is no longer the case. Does it still have an effect? Yes, it does. But because of the internet, because of social media, because of um, video games, because of music, and a lot of things that has put the world almost on a level playing field from the perspective of what people are now knowledgeable about. Back in 20 and 25 years ago, in those urban areas, people still only had limited access to information and to the world around them. That is no longer the case. So now that everybody has uh, almost equal access to information and not necessarily education, but information it has put everybody on this playing field. Where everybody is becoming screwed up all at the same time with the same information, and so as a firefighter, now what well, I want to give you guys some alarming information here. This is this is first gen. Okay, my first five to ten years of being a firefighter was about you know um, fighting fire, and it was about those those divide in the slums and the suburbs, all of every all of the different areas that I worked. That was the topic. But then the last 10 to 15 years of my career, it automatically changed from being, uh, from firefighting being a focus to the medical aid, the medical aids where, you know, people's health was really starting to drag. And then the, la- the latter part of that 10 and 20 years, it became about mental health. And then all of a sudden in the last years, and I'm still in this EMS world, has been about mental health. And the, the most of our calls now is going to de- either domestic violences or people with mental health issues. And from the beginning of my career to where we are right now, you're seeing a bigger population of people that are uh, emotionally disturbed. You're seeing a greater amount of depression. You're seeing a greater amount of suicides. You're seeing uh, a, a greater amount of, uh, of, of education needed for what we call social and emotional learning at the workplace, in schools, and so on and so forth. So the bells that I'm ringing right now is that society is crumbling so quickly before our eyes. And like that dirty fish tank analogy that I had brought up earlier, we are all in the same fish tank and not realizing how dirty of an environment and how caustic of an environment that we're in right now. So no longer do you see this divide between communities. You see the whole freaking Community of people itself is eroding right now because emotionally people are not able to cope with their environments. And so therefore you're seeing, you know, a lot of people end up on the street. I call it giving up on society because they're no longer able to co- cope with how hard it is to survive. And we're not leading people as leaders. You're a leader, you know, with this, with the podcast, we're not. But we're, we we as leaders as a whole are not really understanding what's going on right now. So it's not about education. It's not about, you know, transcending your environments or anything anymore. We need to be about saving the human species, period, because the whole thing is corroded. It's eroding. And as a fireman, it was very clear. And us in the medical world, we're all seeing the same thing. And we're all having that conversation. But this conversation isn't reaching podcasts like this you know it's not reaching the masses so everybody's in there fish tanks swimming, but not realizing how their environment is changing around them as a whole as a people as a whole so what do we do to get out of this mess then oh lord (laughs) yay you said we had an hour I'll give well, you it. I'll it you, knew you, gonna, you knew I was going to, you knew these are the kinds of questions I was going to ask, given the conversation we had before. Hey, here's the good news. I, I have the solution. I, I do have the solution. And I'm not saying that as if I'm a messiah or something like that, you know, but I feel, you know, uh, you know, parts of the story that I haven't been able to, to talk about yet, you know, is what I've done with that divine intervention of information that I've got, you know, what we have to do. As a society, to what I hope can still be done, and hopefully we haven't distorted ourselves too far. where there's no, no, no way of being able to reverse where where we are is that people have to understand that they have a purpose on this planet. We have to help people rediscover that purpose. We have to help people understand that you know you were put on this planet for a specific reason. Now, my scientists. Um, and I'm sorry if I, if I get you bad reviews on this, uh, podcast because a lot of my scientists have disagreed with me and we've had really great conversations. Um, because, you know, a lot of people don't believe in purpose. Uh, you know, my scientists being my natural scientists who, who's been studying Darwinism, Darwinism, um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of type of evolutionary things who have said, has, I mean, simply stated that we've done all this research and found that Uh, things evolved, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they evolved. Things evolved with a purpose. So therefore, people do not have a purpose. But I'm here to tell you that that's, you know, a false falsehood. You know, people do have a purpose. People, again, are in these earth suits and they, they have something valuable to contribute to society. But where we have, um, failed, you know, is that we have cannibalized our youth and may, and what I mean by that, is we we made our youth um more of a transaction than we have transformative. Education has become more transactional than has transformative. We've made our kids into uh consumers rather than cultivating them into being leaders and keep keeping mankind and society going. We've made that that's I I I dare anyone to to answer this question or and and have some accuracy to it. But we didn't start seeing billionaires until we start start really seeing our kids being used as customers. And I'm not saying that's like all the way across the board. And I'm not saying that billionaires didn't exist before this time period. We we all know that that's the case. But we didn't see the transition of billionaires, you know, to the point of where it is right now until we start seeing the um, uh, the, the cannibalizing of our our youth, making them the customers. It's not about them purchasing anything, but it's about their eyeballs. And then when we are feeding our youth mental junk food, hear me out here. This is the term that should be sweeping the nation right now because we had a fitness revolution back in the 70s and 80s where we started putting labels on things and realizing that we were eating a whole bunch of crap. But now we need a mental revolution where we need to understand that we are still eating crap, but this crap is in the form of mental junk food. And so we're feeding our kids in their eyeballs, in their ears, all of this mental crap that is, is taking them further and further from understanding who they are as individuals and therefore being able to bring what they have to offer to the table in their earth suits to be productive citizens that keep things civilized and keep the world moving forward. Those mechanisms are now eroded and gone. So until you fix, you know, what we are feeding ourselves, and our kids, all this mental junk food. And yes, I do mean we need to probably put labels on crap that we are able to watch. And and they 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 are as silly as it sounds, is that, warning, this may cause severe depression is taken or uh, consumed over a long period of time. You know, Facebook has admitted to this and a number of other organizations know <laughs> yeah. that this exists, but we are not really talking about it to the extent. It's like, Okay, I put it out there like the surgeon general saying that smoking is bad for you, but I'll still keep on keep on promoting it. I'll still keep on putting it in your face. And now that I've made it clear, I can wash my hands and say, well, listen, that's a parenting issue. That's not my problem. I need your kids to keep looking at why am I going to go out of business? Because you don't know how to control your gambling, how you control yourself. Right. And I do that gambling there, too, because it's the same concept with that is where we are right now. So you're, you're talking about you know, a, a problem that some people think that's insurmountable, but the simple solution is, you know, we got to stop feeding our ourselves mental junk food. We have to stop countbalizing our youth for profit. That's how we reverse this. Otherwise, we're going to continue to go down this road. And I think everybody knows where that's going to end End up.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it tends to me, like what you're talking about is purpose-driven education. And what I wonder is how you integrate a purpose driven curriculum into our standard curriculum, because the funny thing is you go back to college or anything like that. When I reflect at, at, you know, uh, things like going to Berkeley as an undergrad, things like going to high school, nobody taught me anything about, you know, figuring out what I was good at, figuring out what I was drawn to. It was more, Hey, here's the list of things that you're supposed to do. And if by, you know, some, you know, stroke of luck, you happen to be fucking brilliant at them. That's great. Then you get to thrive. But much like yourself, like, I didn't do well in school. I mean, I was a straight A student only because I had Indian parents and they would disown you if you didn't get straight A's. Uh, But, you know, as I told my roommate, Matt, I'm like, you know, being a straight A student in high school doesn't make you smart. It means you're disciplined. Um, And, you know, that was just enforced around our house. But nobody ever really talked to me. I mean, even all the way through business school, nobody ever really talked to me about trying to answer any of these sort of deeper questions. Uh, I only got that from having thousands of conversations over the last 11 years with people like you.
1: Yeah, you're going to make me cuffed right now, man, because that's, that's such a passionate, uh, uh <laughs> that's fine. Give it up. Yeah. And this is a therapy session for me, you know, and that's that's the only time I'm, I'm using my cuss words, man, is when I'm venting like this, um, you know, you know, to your, to your point, you know, and, and I want to make sure I have that that question, you know, really clear what you're asking. How do we integrate, you know, purpose driven education, you know, and, and that, that's our term, you know. So, man, I'll try to give a short answer to that, but I have first start off with just an experience over the holidays. I was meeting, uh, one of our, my, my clients, uh, at a restaurant and one of, uh, the, the, um, waitresses, she looked like she was around 21, 22. Um, she, was waiting on me and she saw me working on my computer and she said, you know, I don't know why I feel like I want to ask you what you're doing, but I have to ask. And I was like, oh sure, I would love for you to ask. She said, so what do you do? What do you, what do you, what are you doing here, like right now? Why are you working on your laptop? What do you what do you do that you have to do that here? And I said, well, you know, short an answer I gave her, I said, uh, I have a program to help people discover their purpose. My software is called Dreamcatcher. And she said, wow, dream catcher? You mean you actually help people, you know, find and discover their dreams and actually catch them? I said, Yeah, absolutely. And I saw her face light up. And then the next words out of her mouth was, you know what makes me pissed off? I said, oh, what, what yeah, what makes she pissed off? She says that this is the first time that I'm hearing about someone doing this, you know, helping people discover their dreams. Here I am going to community college and going to school trying to figure out what am I there for. And I'm doing good in school, but I just can't realize. I don't realize why I'm there. I'm go- I'm about to transfer over to uh, UCLA, and I'm gonna go there to do more of the same of not knowing where am I going, what am I doing, how come I've never heard of you before? And she's coming at me pretty hard, but I understand where she's coming from because, like I said, you know, this is where I really start getting pissed off and talking about this. But I'm hearing this all the time from adults and young people saying. When are we going to start focusing on us in school? When is education going to be about us and not about what, what other people think that we should be doing? Why am I taking all these stupid assessments that are taking my personality traits and my characteristics and then telling me what I should do when nobody's asking me to ask a question on who am I and what I should be doing? And why isn't and by the way, why isn't anyone teaching me who I am or helping me understand who I am? How come I'm doing all this math? but I'm not doing anything that's helping me understand who I am, you know? And that long story short and also full circle conversation would also spark me when I was a youth thinking that same exact thing over 20 some odd years ago, 30 some odd years ago, you know, of why isn't, why aren't we, you know, helping people, especially our young people understand who they are. So purpose-driven education is about Helping people understand that before we start talking about even your academics and before we start talking about a career path just burns me up that we're we're so quick to try to push kids into a job or to the freaking school. But before we do any of that, we haven't done the very basic. It's going it's like going from A to Z and starting at, at, at D or E S G, where the, the first thing that we should be doing is helping them understand who they are. And at least if they don't have a clear understanding just yet you still have to open up the door and give them that opportunity to start discovering it. Because here's the thing. Here's the magic. here, here, Here's what is transformative in that thought process. When students are, and young people are starting to understand who they are, they start latching on to characteristics that they didn't know that they had. When they start latching on to those characteristics, they will then start looking at the world from a different lens and trying to figure out what the freaking world needs and then starting to re- look back inside of themselves to see how they can fit those needs. So just like what we say with invention, you know, the mother of invention is necessity. The mother of freaking living is necessity. And we are humans who have built in within us those, well, those abilities to fix and correct things. But we have disengage and disable those mechanisms and people. And so if we don't go back to purpose-driven education, which starts from students doing self-exploration before we start doing career exploration, before we start doing all of the other things that is going on that we we as adults and adult leaders think that they should know, um, you know, this is this is where the problem is. So that's what purpose-driven education is. Before I let, before I get back to you on, on, on this, yeah, I was, it was amazing. Yesterday I was, I took my kids to Disneyland and, um, we, we had a great time and I, we, we briefly walked past this parent who is at Disneyland with us and their child is on their iPad and I noticed they're watching YouTube. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell are you at Disneyland with all of this magic? Going on around you, and you think it's okay to have your child instead of, you know, absorbing and soaking in this experience. You're watching YouTube on a freaking iPad. That was, to me, just to sum it up where we are as a society, and that's the lack of purpose-driven education, and it starts very early. Yeah. So, one thing I,
0: I wonder—I'm I mean, guessing you have had an opportunity to work with some young kids in this process. What is it like when you talk to a young kid about purpose? Because I kind of wonder what I would have done, you know, if you'd asked me about this when I was in sixth or seventh grade, because, you know, Indian family, I'd been so conditioned to believe that, you know, I'm supposed to go be a doctor or engineer. You know. uh, it, I always jokingly say the Indian parent motivational speech is you can be any kind of doctoral engineer you want to. Uh, <laughs> but you know, when you talk to a young kid about something like purpose, what is that experience like? Like, what do they say?
1: Oh man, it again. That I I know you're asking this question, so I can give information. But I hope you know anyone listening to this. You know, I I, I hope you are asking people around you too. You know, what's your purpose? What are you on this planet to do? Freaking such a simple question. And when I ask, you know, the the youth that I've been exposed to, which in the thousands right now, our software has helped thousands of students discover their purpose. I have helped thousands of myself to help young people discover their purpose. Because I speak, and I also do personal um, sessions one on one with youth. I have youth right now that follow me wherever I go. So I feel like uh, sometimes uh, the 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 pie piper, you know, of, of young people. And what it is, Srini, is is when you start asking those type of questions, you open up a uh, kids to a world that didn't know they didn't know exist. But I'm seeing their eyes light up as if they was in that bed of uh, what we used to call, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years ago, Toys R Us, you know, kid in the toy store, pretty much with, with all of these wonderful things around them. And they're seeing a, a, a world of things that they can do because of all these wonderful toys. Well, that's the same look in their eyes that they get when I start asking them, what do you think your purpose on this planet is? And, and they look at it, they look at me and they, they, they go towards answering that question as if they've been waiting for someone to ask them this question all along. And finally, somebody cares about me, you know. So there's a so whole bunch of emotions that that comes from first when I ask that question. Then the second thing, they go, oh, never thought of that. I don't know is the next thing coming out of their mouth. And then they go, well, what is purpose? You know, and then so some of them will try to explain what they think purpose is uh, but then I give them a definition that they can latch on to in our program and our software that we created. The way that we break down purpose, it's it's not a religious thing. It's not a philosophical thing. It's a very humanistic, very tangible, humanitarian thing. And it's three verbs, give, show, connect. And it goes like this. So what do you have to give or show? Or how can you connect with the world around you in love in return for what you want out of life? How can you give, show, and connect in love in return for what you want out of your life? When I put it to them that way, everyone latches on to either having something to give, personality, trait, show, or a way of being able to connect. And then being able to take those three verbs, analyze it for themselves, look within what their attributes are, and then pick one, a combination of those or all three of those, and figure out how to apply it in a way that makes them feel feel because that love word is, it's got so many things wrapped and so many individual adjectives wrapped into that word love. We just sum it up with the word love. But in that love, there's motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. In that word, love is a desire. In that word, love is passion. In that word, love is sacrifice. And so students, when they're able to latch on to those three adjectives and they think about that word love and then we do break down love in that way so they can understand, then they're able to take that process and then start thinking about, well, okay, so I figured out what I want to do. And we call this internal GPS. Yeah, you know, I discovered what I want to do. And I, reinv- I re I uh, reverse engineered on how I'm going to get there. And I love the process and how I'm going to get there. And I love the people that I'm going to help once I get there. And I love the way that I feel when I do what I do. Um, but now I got to have that one last moment, which is that, okay, what do I want out of it? And now all of a sudden, when they put all of these three things, these three components together, they've built for themselves a life. And that is worth a billion dollars in itself to see just one kid start to manufacture a life based off of what they believe their purpose is and then how they're going to get there and why they're going to do it and the fulfillment that comes with it. And then you mean to tell me that I can actually have a family that I can support on that passion, on that purpose, on that love and do what I want to do? and affect the world the way I want to affect them. Oh my gosh, you just changed my life. That's how we've been able to change life. That's how I've been able to change life, And it's been given to me as a gift to be able to give to the rest of the world. And if we can just reproduce that process in every one of our youth, this is when we start reversing what that massive problem is that we was talking about earlier. Wow. Wow. Um.
0: You could have left me speechless. There's just so many gems in here that uh, you know, I feel like we could do an hour on each section that you talked about. Uh, so uh, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: That's like, an easy, easy question. Um, you being an individual and understanding who you are. That's what that's what makes people unmistakable um I know you could appreciate and you've seen us more times than you care to probably even uh admit to as well, but we live in a world of of zombies right now, you know um I think that uh Hollywood has done an excellent job of entertaining us with what we really look like as a society we with exception of the makeup and the paint that makes us look lifeless and like we um are the ugliest things ever created out of someone's imagination. We are all those things that a zombie is with exception of what, what that final look uh, looks like. Everybody latches on to the grossness of what that looks like, but nobody takes a a, a moment to sit back and think that everything that, uh, uh, from conceptually what a zombie is, which is somebody who's walking around with life without a life, um, which means they have no purpose, uh, which means that they, they are all the same, almost like they've been cloned and they act like everything else around them. They've, they've taken hold of the environment and made it themselves part of the environment. So you can't tell them apart. So we'll run from all zombies, but we won't sit there and look at individual zombies and go, well, you know, this one's kind of cute. Or this one actually has, a, a, has some other uh, abilities. Maybe I'll just chain them up and make them, you know, do this for me or do that. You know, uh, we we don't we don't look at things like that. We see everything as the same. We see all the zombies as the same, and that's how you and I and people on this podcast. I hope we'll start looking at the world is that we are a world full of zombies, and we we don't have a such thing as unmistakable when it comes in terms of differentiating people. And I don't care how creative people can get or what things people can get into that you know helps them sustain themselves financially. If if we as as humans aren't doing What we need to do to really maximize while we're on this planet and we're not doing those things, give, show and connecting and love in return for what we want out of life. And just in that order, it's hard to be unmistakable, you know. And so I feel what I see is unmistakable now is the people that I'm constantly around that have discovered or who are in the process of discovering their purpose. And they're living this uh, life and a journey that comes along with it. And that transcends, you know, our entertainers, that transcends um, a lot of the things that we see and emulate. Are you as an individual and what are you doing to make sure that when you close your eyes for the last time that you've made this world a better place than what you you left it? And not not, not only do you think that, but the people around you think that and will say that at your funeral. That's what it means to me.
0: Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work and everything that you're up to?
1: Yeah, thank you uh, for asking. Dreamcatcherprogram.com is the website. You can go and see our software um, that we call Dreamcatcher. And then I would love for people to respond to me, both positively and, and I don't ever look at it negatively. I, I, I hope I do get some hate mail on this. You can reach me directly at steve at dreamcatcherprogram.com, you know, because I love always to get an engaging conversation about these deep things that are affecting our society. Um, I have nothing against people that, that are capitalists, and I'm a, I'm one of those people, too. But, you know, um, too much, of anything, is a is a problem, you know, so please reach out to me uh, in either form. You can find me on the website or you can find me at steve at dreamcatcherprogram.com. Thank you guys for this opportunity.
4: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.